we all want moxie. Everybody's been loving this series because we really all want moxie. So if you're someone with moxie, it means you've got grit, you've got guts, you've got determination, you have an inner strength. It means that if there's something standing in front of you, no matter what it is, you're going to bulldoze through it. However, we're talking about not just moxie, but Christian moxie. And here's what that also means. While you have that courage, that determination, that guts, what, here's what it also means. You have a peace that the world looks upon you and the world is confused by you. It passes all understanding that the world has. You have a joy about you that cannot be shaken no matter what your circumstances are. And if you have moxie, you have found the secret to having contentment. And that's what we're talking about today, the secret. How do you have this kind of contentment that we all long for, that we all want? So what is the secret? Well, what is contentment? Contentment means that you, you can simply be satisfied with what's going on in your life. You have all that you need, and so you take a breath of satisfaction. That's what it means to be content. It means you're good with your situation no matter what it might be. And it's, it's, look, look, it's not this too. It's not that when something goes wrong, you just sit there and you say, oh man, that's wrong, that sucks, but I'm content, so I'm not going to do anything about it. No, you have moxie, and so you see there's something wrong, and you fight with all of your might to make it right. However, here's what you also say. Because you have moxie, you're also content with whatever the result is. So you put all of your effort in, and if it doesn't go the way that you're seeking, it's okay, you're content with the way that things are going. And I'm going to tell you, this is so very, very, very rare to find. But this is going to change your life if you can get to this. So here's what happens now. If you have contentment, here's what it means. You're no longer ruled by a fear of failure. And a lot of you guys are scared to do tons of stuff because you're terrified. And when you do fail, it's not going to crush you because you can say, ah, this is okay. I'm content in this. So now guess what that means? This is the perfect recipe for growth in your life. Because you can see this and you can say, okay, I can put all effort, determined to become who I'm made to become, yet every single failure that I make, every single sin, every time I know I'm not being who I should be, it's okay. One, you have forgiveness so you're content in that, but two, you're just content. Like, you're satisfied, yet you're determined. And that's the perfect recipe for someone of growth. And it also means if you're content, you're not controlled by material things. Also, you know what else is true? If you have contentment, you see the world much clearer. We're all searching for truth. And it's very hard to find what is actually true if you're not content. Because what's happening, if you're not content, you're being ruled by your wants, by your desires, by your emotions. And when you're ruled by those things, you can't see the world clearly because you're determining what is truth and what is right and wrong based off of your wants more than anything else. So only when you're content can you trust yourself that you've actually found what is true. So contentment ends up being this nugget that helps you live a life that's well lived. So our verses today, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I now know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, placing, of, of facing hunger, plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right. So during this time, when Paul is writing this, he's writing this to the Philippian church. And during this time, there was a hot debate going on. And the hot debate had a lot to do with this word contentment. So are you ready? Here's the debate. It was between this fun, people with some funny names. It was between the Epicureans and the Stoics. And they're trying to figure out. Here's what, here's what they're trying to figure out. So you've got these two people, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And the Epicureans are saying, look, there's no God. What we've got to do is get the most out of life that we can get. We've got to seek after pleasure. Live life like just pleasure-seeking people. The Stoics said, no, 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 no. What's key is to live a moral, virtuous life. And they're debating, this hot debate back and forth. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? And that, so the Epicureans are saying, feel deeply and pursue the things that you want. Pursue your desires like crazy. The, the Stoics are saying, no, no, no. Turn your desires off. Your desires are going to lead you into a ruined life. The Epicurean says, chase your wants. The Stoic said, stop chasing your wants. The Stoic said, if you want to be content, the key is to turn your desires and your emotions off. And so the debate, pleasure or morality, what's, what should you pursue? Now, Paul basically drops a bomb in this debate. And what's strange about Paul, this writer here, the, in, in Christianity really drops a bomb in this debate. Because here how, here's how it ends up playing out for the Christian and for Paul. I mean, we've been seeing this all through the series. Paul sometimes is saying, be self-controlled. Live a self-controlled life. Live a moral life, a virtuous life. And then other times he's saying, live this virtuous, or sorry, live this emotionally charged life where you are chasing like crazy your wants and your desires. And so what is it for Paul? Should we be living a moral, virtuous life or should we be pursuing pleasure like crazy? It sounds like he's both. So here's what, here's what Paul, Paul says. He, you, you, he could almost be making fun of the Epicureans. And, and he say, says, essentially says to them this. You Epicureans, you think you're chasing after pleasure. You've only turned your wants and desires up to five. He says, turn your wants and desires far past level five. Turn all the way up to level ten. And then here's what you're going to do. You're going to run right past all the pleasures of this world that you are seeking after because they're not going to deliver and you're finally going to realize that if you turn your wants and desires all the way up to 10, nothing is going to satisfy you except for God. Also though, so, so he's saying you're going to run right past sex, right past drugs, right past alcohol, right past money and the pursuit of money and what money is going to be able to give you. He's, you're going to run right past all of it and run right into the arms of Christ. That's what Paul's making the argument for. But the Epicureans are saying, well, there is no God, so they have to find something in this world to find their pleasure in. But Paul's saying, once you turn your emotions up to 10, here's what happens. You finally find the object that your soul has been craving and longing for, and it is Christ. And once you find him, here's what happens. Because you have wants and you have desires, and here's what happens. Once you find Christ, all these wants, all these desires become satisfied in him, and now guess what? 
You're content. You're not chasing after anything anymore. And guess what happens now? You're good. So you can live a self-controlled life because the reason we're not self-controlled, the reason we're doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing, the reason that's happening is because we have wants that have not been satisfied. We have desires that aren't satisfied. And so we're trying everything and anything to figure out what's going to give us this joy that, is sad, that, that can be found through this satisfaction we feel when our wants are, and our cravings are satisfied. But nothing's going to work until we arrive at Christ. This is the claim Paul is making. And then once we arrive at him, we're good. So now we can live a self-controlled and virtuous and moral life. We can live a good life. We can live the life that we're meant to live. And until we're content, we're never going to be able to do that. And until we're content, we can never actually trust that we're doing it because we're being controlled by desires and cravings that have yet to be satisfied. Pretty fascinating. He's saying your problem isn't your pleasure, seeking pleasure. The problem is what you're seeking pleasure in. So there's this word uh, that every once in a while bounces around called Christian hedonism. It's not a place. It's a state of mind where you realize that God and God alone is what your soul craves, what your heart craves, what your mind craves, what everything inside of you is craving after is him. And when you have him, he's going to set off your endorphins in such a way that nothing else can going to set off the things that happen chemically in your brain that happen only maybe through drugs or through whatever else, but actually what you find is he turns it up, and you experience it more in him than anything else. And you can make the argument that the ultimate way to live, where you're pursuing both pleasure and morality and this contentment, is found in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to show you why. So take the Ten Commandments. What you have is the first commandment, says, make God your God. The last commandment says, don't covet. But actually, the, that's the negative version. The positive version of don't covet is be content. And so what's happening in the Ten Commandments is saying that if you will pursue the pleasure of knowing God and pursue pleasure in God, you will be satisfied in him, and then you will be content. You won't covet anymore. You'll have everything that you need and you want. And now what's going to happen is you're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. Why? Because there's no reason for you to steal every, anything. You have everything you want in Christ. All of your wants, all of your desires have now been satisfied, so stealing sounds like a dumb thing to do because you have everything that you want. Same thing with lying. When we lie, we're lying for reasons. We're protecting ourselves. We're doing something. But if we're content, we don't have to do those things. So you have sandwiched the first commandment, God is God, the last one, be content, and everything else falls into place. But you have to pursue pleasure in him. Everything else is going to make you want something you don't have. And so it leads to a breakdown of the rest of the commandments. So the Stoics are saying, are you hungry? You've got to pretend like you're not hungry. But we know that if you're hungry, that, that want is telling you you're hungry because you need food. And if you don't eat food, you're going to waste away and die. And what Paul is saying and what Christianity is saying is that you have wants and desires inside of you for God. You have a lack of... Con Christianity is saying the reason you're not content is because you have a craving for God and that craving has not been satisfied. And if you don't get that craving satisfied, you're going to die of a broken heart. So go and pursue Him and then find contentment in Him because only He's going to be the one that's satisfying you. 
The Epicureans are saying pursue pleasure, but you got to pursue pleasure in something of this world. Christianity is saying there's something outside of this world that is far greater than what's in this world. Pursue him. And while the Stoics are saying you're hungry, pretend like you're not, here's what the Epicureans are saying. Are you hungry? There's a trash can right over there. Go see what you can find in there. Now, look, so we took a little trip to Miami this week, and we had a little bit of the stomach bug that we got from our kids, and so we weren't feeling great, but we're like, man, like, we got we to gotta just force ourselves. So we went to restaurants, and we're like, we're going to force some food down. So we did. And it was really good food, like, but we were forcing it down, but we couldn't finish it. And so we got it to go, and we said, maybe we'll see someone homeless along the way, and we can give them some food. So we did. We were walking, and we saw a homeless man digging in the trash. And we were like, man, this food is so good. He's going to love this. And so we gave him the food, and we're like, man, that guy's he's going to have a great dinner. And so we go, and we go to get our bikes, and, and we're, we're, we saw where he stopped, and we got our bikes, and we went around, and we saw the food, all of it, just lying on the ground. Like he didn't, want, he didn't want it. He was digging in the trash, but he didn't want it. Now, I'm telling you, this is what the Epicureans are saying. There, he did, in, in a way, he, maybe he didn't have the taste buds for it. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't like this food, but it was amazing food. But he, it was like he didn't even take a bite of it almost. So the Epicureans are saying, make your level for seeking after pleasure a five, and that's found in the trash. But Christianity is saying, bump it up to ten, you're going to get out of the trash, and you're finally going to go have a meal like you've been longing for. You're going to have a feast with God. It's very different. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. G.K. Chesterton said that the man that's knocking on the door of the brothel is really searching after God. He has wants and desires that only God can satisfy, but he's trying the brothel out. You could also say that the drunk stumbling in the bar is actually searching for the path towards heaven. You could say the drug addict that's shooting up his veins, actually what he's seeking is after, is he's seeking after the high and the pleasures of hearing these or of knowing this truth that God loves you and accepts you no matter what. The pleasure of that. Uh, Rockefeller, the richest man in, the history, in modern history, based off of how much money he had at the time in history, the richest man in modern history, he was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. What he's really chasing after are the riches of the kingdom of God that are constantly spilling over. I'm not talking about will you become a Christian like you become rich. I'm talking about there are spiritual riches in Christ that you can have now and also the world to come later where the kingdom of God fully is here. That's what he's actually chasing after. The person who's chasing after success constantly on their phone, constantly working hours, tons and tons of hours each week. You know what they're actually chasing after? They're chasing after these words. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. That's the words that God says to Jesus Christ. And it's the words that are credited to the Christian. By faith, we hear those words. Well done. We hear, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. That's what you're really chasing after. The person searching for the comfortable little life. This is our thing in Port St. Lucie. We all want a comfortable life. We, we want this, the nice 
perfect little house, like the perfect size house, not too big, not too little, just the nice, comfortable size with a nice car, not too nice, just the right amount of nice. We want 2.5 kids because that's the normal thing to have. I don't know you, how you pull that off, but that's the normal thing to do. You, of course, you want a golden retriever because that's the perfect, comfortable dog to have, and you want a white picket fence, but you don't, you, you, and, and, and what you want to do is you want to walk out on a nice hot day with a glass of sweet tea with the, 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 the um, the bubbles, what are the, the little drippings of water, sweat beads, and just sipping your sweet tea on a nice day where you can just feel so comfortable. And of course, it's in your backyard that's closed in because in order to be comfortable, you can't see your neighbors. And there, there you go. There's your comfortable little life. But actually, what you're really chasing after is Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Fully satisfied. He lays me down in green pastures beside still waters. And he also, not only that, he's prepared a home for you in his father's house. That's what you're actually chasing after as you're chasing after this comfortable life. The Epicureans say pleasure must be found here. The Stoics say don't even think about pursuing pleasure. Christianity says... Turn your desires up to 10, run straight to Christ, have all of your desires and wants satisfied in him. And then you're going to run right past the brothel, run right past the bar, run right past the drugs that you keep going back to, run right past this pursuit of success that's somehow going to give you this life that you want, or run right past this comfortable little life that you're chasing after and you're going to run right into the arms of Christ. That's true contentment. Now, how do you get to it? You have to totally and utterly rely on Christ. You don't have to just know what I just said. Because some of you know what I just said, but you're not relying on Christ fully in your life. The thing about a Christian, the thing about Paul, is the Christian is a walking paradox. This word contentment, if you trace the history of this word, so before this word starts, it's coming from this word self-reliant. And so it's interesting because... Paul looks like the most self-reliant person in the in history of the world, and yet he says he is completely reliant upon Christ. And so this is the paradox, that when you're completely reliant on Christ, you go to him and you have everything that you want met in him, and so now you're content. It means you don't need anything in this world. Like, I mean, obviously you need food, but you get the point of what I'm saying. It's a life of contentment. You're satisfied, and so now that you're satisfied, guess what? You're relying on nothing in this world, and so people look at you and they say, wow, that looks like the most self-reliant person I've ever seen in my life, and the, and the reason you're self-reliant looking is because you are totally 100% dependent and reliant on Christ. There's nothing Paul needs because he has Christ. That's why he's in this jail, and he, and he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He doesn't care if you take his life. Kill him. He gets to go be with God. You let him live, fine. He's going to talk about Christ. Christ is his satisfaction now and always. He's good. He doesn't need anything else. There's another place in one of Paul's writings where he says, when he is at his weakest, he is at his strongest. Paradox again. What does that mean? It means that when he is at his weakest, it means he most knows he needs Christ, and so he reaches for Christ. And as he's reaching for Christ, he's satisfied in him, and now he's strong, because Christ is enough. It's a paradox. 
But this is Christianity. It's upside down. It's a paradox. It's inside out. Nothing really makes sense until you're like, oh, it's all pointing to Christ. I've got him now. Oh, that makes completely sense, complete sense to me. The way to gain this life is to lose it. You lose your life to gain the real you. And not only does, is Paul reliant on Christ when he's weak, but he's reliant on Christ when everything's going perfect. In other words, whatever this world can give him, it doesn't matter to Paul because Christ is better. Now, do you believe, like, I know, like, we're, a lot of you would say, I'm a Christian. Do you believe that's true? And what about when the stakes get higher? Does, do, would you say nothing can beat Christ? Because some of you are thinking, man, if I just had a little bit more money in the bank account, like, if I just had a little bit more, everything's going to be good. Or if I could just get this house that I'm chasing. Or my kids could get into this school. Or if I could just get to this. Or if I could just get to that. Or if I could just be this successful. Or if I could just be this comfortable. Or if I could just have this much power. Or if I could just marry this person. Or if my kids could be just like this. And the list goes on and on and on. And you, ha- and you chase after all those things. And, and maybe some of you say to yourself, once I get those, like, then I can get serious about God, but I got to get this first. Once I get those things, then I can make, make, make being part of the church like something for me. But right now, like, I've got to get this stuff. I got to get this. And all the while, you're missing out on the thing that's going to, God bless you, you're missing out on the thing that's going to satisfy you most. Like a sneeze, you know, at the end of your, sorry, I have to do this. The end of the sneeze and it feels so satisfying. Like that's, that's just a glimmer of Christ. That was dumb. I'm sorry. That was a dumb one. Um, for Paul, if he has all the riches in the world, Christ is better. Jesus talks about this parable of, of someone who finds a treasure buried in a field. And this guy takes everything that he has and sells it so that he could buy this field. But he's not buying the fields he's buying. He wants the treasure. That's why he goes after the field. And so he gets this, and ultimately what this is pointing to is Christ. Jesus is using this to say that the kingdom of God is someone who finds this treasure buried in a field. They give everything away that they have so that they could get this field, so ultimately they could get this treasure that is the kingdom of God that is found in Christ the King. And then what you find is that now that you have this treasure who is Christ, he, who was buried under the ground, rises up out of the ground, up out of the grave, up out of death, and you take hold of him, and now you have all the riches of his kingdom offered to you. You can be content no matter what you have or don't have, because you have Christ. So... If you had a billion dollars offered to you in Christ, what would you pick? If someone was going to take a billion dollars from you and they took it, would you still be content and satisfied? I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue justice. I'm saying what's going on in your soul, what's going on in your heart, are you still satisfied? It's different when the stakes are high. There was a, um, when I was in college, I started um, a business and was doing well. It actually helped pay for a lot of seminary. And then I developed a partnership and uh, the company sold and I was supposed to get a portion of it, but I got nothing. And so I was like talking to a lawyer and they're like, oh man, you didn't cross your T's and dot your I's. You're kind of not going to get anything from this. And I, you know, I was, I was sitting there and I was thinking, and as I was thinking, I opened up the Bible and I was reading and I read the story about he who's forgiven much 
can forgive. And I thought, man, what's been done to me here is nothing like what I've done to God. The debt that I owed to God for my sins was far greater than what's happened here. And it gave me the strength to be able to forgive. And then I said, well, and Christ is better than all of this, so I can be content with this. And I was, I was cool with it. Like, I, I, was, I was okay. There was a little bit parts of me that were angry, but, but usually, most of the time, I was just, I'm, I'm good. Like, because I knew that I have such a greater gift in Christ, so I can be good with it. I can be content with what's happened. Again, not that we don't pursue justice, right? Someone of Moxie is determined to see justice happen. However, when it doesn't work out, we can still be content. And that's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, football players like to talk about this, um, this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, okay, so if you're a football player, you're a professional football player, and you want to win so bad, so you drop to your knees and you say, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're like, I'm going to win this game now. Then you get out on the field and you see that somebody has the Bible verse that says, all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right here across their face. And you're like, oh no, look, they're, they're even showing a greater display of their faith. They're probably going to win now. So who's going to win the game? Neither of them. They're both losers because they're misunderstanding the Bible verse. What the verse is saying is that I could be determined with all my might to win this game, but if I don't, I'm content because I have Christ. There's a, there's a, little, um, a little meme, you know, a picture with some words on it, and it's a picture of this guy. Apparently his name is Tom in this little meme. And Tom really wants to open this pickle jar up, but he's trying to pry it open. You know, you twist a pickle jar, you don't pry it open. And so as he's trying to open it up, his wife says, or no, he says to his wife, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and he's trying to pry open the pickle jar. And then his wife says, Tom, it's a pickle jar, you have to twist it. So twist the pickle jar, not scripture. (laughs) So, some of you just got that. The point is that this verse is saying Christ is always enough no matter what happens. That in fact, if you're offered the last minute comeback win of the game-winning touchdown at the Super Bowl, Christ is still better than that. And he'll satisfy you more. When the stakes are high, what will you do? Now, I know a lot of you guys aren't professional football players. Some of you are moms. And probably equally as hard. And you so badly want your kids to be a certain way. You so badly want them to be happy. You so badly want them to be content. You so badly just want them and you love them so much. And you're going to them for your own contentment. And you're going to them to find your contentment in their contentment and in their happiness. And you're going to be chasing after it the same way that Rockefeller was chasing after money. It's never going to be enough. And, and by the way, eventually they're going to move out, and that's good. That's what you want to do. But then what are you going to do when they're gone? And, and some of your kids, 
Some of your kids are like ready to get out from underneath your rule. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you find all of your value, your worth, or your contentment in your kids, they start picking up on that. And essentially what you're doing is you're trying to get the stuff of heaven from your kids. And you're going to them to get the stuff of heaven from them. And then they start feeling the weight of that. And they know that they can never satisfy you the way God can. They know they can never satisfy you the way that heaven can. And so they start feeling the weight of this. And they start feeling your grip on them. And then they can't wait to get out of the bondage that they are stuck in. The slavery they are stuck in because they're never going to be able to give you what you want from them. So they're ready to run from you. Or, okay, let's do this one. When you're driving... You get so mad when someone cuts you off and you give them the middle finger and you're so mad. It's just proof that you're not content. Or when you drive, you know what? I bet you all of you do this. Sometimes you act like a stoic and sometimes you act like an epicurean. And here's what happens. You're driving and you see someone driving slow and you go past them and you're just looking at them shaking their head because they're going exactly the speed limit. And you know you're supposed to go seven miles over the speed limit because that's what the cops say. We'll pull you over if you go just over seven miles and over the speed limit. So I'm going to go seven. But then all of a sudden someone zips by you and you shake your head at them for speeding. And so you're acting like a stoic and an epicurean all at the same time. It's exactly what I see. You aren't content. That's why you're doing it. Jealousy. You're jealous because you're not content. You're coveting because you're not content. Coveting leads to jealousy. And so you look at people and you say, man, if I could only have that job, if I could only look that way, if I could only have this house, if I could only have as much money as they have, if I could only have the spouse that they had that was like them, if I could only have the kids like them, and no, you, I know you guys would never say that out loud, but you're thinking it, and the reason you're thinking it is because you're not content, because you're not satisfied, because the things that are happening in your life aren't enough for you, and you're seeking pleasure from things of this world. But if you'll just go to God and find contentment in Him, then you can be satisfied with what's happening in your life. And then you're going to start loving people for real versus needing something from them because when you don't have your wants and desires satisfied, you are in need. And if you aren't going to God, then you're going to cling to everybody around you and you're not going to love them because you can't love them because you so want something from this world and it's not going to give it to you and so you're never going to be able to love people like you're meant to because you always need something from them. You need something from your spouse, and they're not giving it to you. You need something from your kids, they're not giving it to you. You need something from your boss, and your boss isn't giving it to you. You need something from this world, and they're not giving it to you. You need something from the politicians, and they're not giving it to you. I mean, this just goes on and on and on. Like, you're tired, and you want to just go watch a movie, and you watch the movie, and the movie wasn't good, and you feel like you've wasted all of your time, and you just wanted some rest, but you're not getting it, and it's all because you're not content. You're trying desperately to find satisfaction your desires and wants your cravings to be satisfied and it's not happening because you're not going to christ and you really don't think he's enough and this is what we do with faith at some point we've got to make this decision and we've got to say i'm going all in i'm going to trust that he will satisfy me more than anything else and, and the, the problem is we start looking at Christ from a distance and we're measuring him from a distance and we're saying, you know, I'm watching this, 
I'm watching the way people are interacting with him. Oh, I'm watching the way people interact in the church. Oh, look at those people. What a bunch of hypocrites. He must not be that good. Or we're measuring him and we're saying, oh, he wants all of me. And I don't know. So we're, we're at a distance from Christ, watching him, wondering if he's enough. And we spend our whole entire life questioning him, never really going all the way in. But we're flirting with the idea of it. And because of that, we're never content and we're not satisfied. And I bet more of us are doing that than we realize. Christ is your only hope for contentment. If you're going to be content, it means you have to find the thing that is glorious enough to finally satisfy you. Your job will never be glorious enough. Your spouse will never be glorious enough. Your kids will never be glorious enough. Whatever it is that you're chasing after, it will never be glorious as him. He's the only one who's glorious enough for you to be able to finally be satisfied, to feel like you're resting beside the still waters where you say, I have everything I want in my shepherd who is here with me forever and always. Once, yeah, whoa, you're right. Once you turn that desire all the way up, you run right past everything in this world, right into the arms of Christ. And here's what you find when you do that. Here's what you find. You found a God who is willing to die on the cross for you. In fact, he died so that you might be content in him, so that you might be able to have him. See, here's, here's the thing. You're chasing after things in this world. And he's dying on the cross to give you the world. Like literally, the Bible starts off and it says about humanity, this is yours, care for it, the entire world, and look at what we're doing. We're seeking pleasure in the things of the world. And we're supposed to be the ones caring for it, yet we're seeking pleasure in the things of this world. And he's offering something so much greater, his kingdom, that will come upon this earth and make all things right. But it's not only that. He died on the cross to not just give you this world, but to give you his Father. Because we are homeless orphans longing for our true Father. And the firstborn Son of God comes into the earth and dies on the cross, and he dies on that cross as a homeless orphan slave so that he can make us sons and daughters of God, so he can make a room for us in his father's house. So he can give us the world. Everything that is his, he shares with you. That's the promise of the Bible. All that is his, he says, is yours. But you're holding back. Don't do it. Go all in. Father, we pray now that as we measure even in our sin, as we're measuring the quality of who you are and if you're worth it, even the idea of that, God, it's sinful on our parts, yet even in our sin, you love us still and you call us to you still. So God, open our eyes and our ears to see that you are everything we long for. And when we run from you, chase us down and sit us down before you and show us your glory that is so irresistible that we have no other choice but to say I'm in, I'm all in. 
God, let the longing within us, the, 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 the streams that are longing to flow in our soul, God, let us see that once we go to you, that those streams flow and we are satisfied and we have this living water in us through you that we drink and we will never be thirsty again because you are our satisfaction. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.